I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Mark Ford, a principal in Deloitte Cyber Risk Services Practice and lead for the firm's life sciences and healthcare industry practice. Mark will be discussing some of the top data security and privacy challenges and threats facing the healthcare sector. Hi, Mark. Hey, good morning. As you work with clients in the healthcare sector, what are the biggest cyber threats they're facing now, and what new threats are on the horizon? So we've seen a evolving threat that is uh, quite changing in the last few years. The healthcare industry, which we see in three major sectors, what we call life sciences, your traditional pharmaceutical companies, as an example, plans, which are the health insurance providers, and then the providers themselves, who range from you know the big hospital systems down to the physician practice offices. Each of those three sectors is receiving different threats based on the information that may be available to them. Obviously, things like the life sciences companies are very uh, concerned about IP and what the, their latest inventions that are coming to market, like the new drug. In the health plan area, it's more of your traditional risk that they face, but they're also very much involved in the personal health information that is out there. So they have a lot of that that they have to maintain and they have to look after as it moves through their environment as well as through their third parties. Then from a provider standpoint, very much concerned about that same health information. There are some pockets of proprietary IP, if you will, in the health plans and the health provider sectors as well, but it's less of of an impact than or is less impacted than that patient health information. So the threats change based on the, the target of information that may be of value. We're seeing in those two sectors, the plans and the provider, threats that are changing to try and get access to that patient health information because now what's a big value is the ability to use that information to create fraud where the hack may be looking more in the past, may be looking more for what information I can get out of their financial systems like credit card information that has significantly shifted to patient information because that can be used then to commit fraud using fraudulent applications for healthcare, as an example. So the threat has changed quite significantly in recent years. Another threat vector that has come on the horizon recently is around uh, what we call advanced persistent threats, essentially nation threats. And those folks are typically looking more from a, an opportunity to gain insight information on the new advancements in technology. So we see less of an impact on the plans and the providers and more of an impact from, from that threat to the life sciences companies who are doing significant research on their technology platforms as well as their new drugs and whatnot. And a advanced persistent threat may be looking to grab that information, that IP information, intellectual property, so that they could advance their own causes, as an example. So now, what's your assessment of how prepared the healthcare sector is in addressing those threats? For instance, does the preparedness differ within the different segments of the healthcare sector that you mentioned, such as life sciences versus insurers versus hospitals versus small clinics and doctor practices? Absolutely. Preparation is a significant 
uh, difference. When you when you think about it, I usually tier them in three buckets. We usually see the the most prepared and the most advanced in the life sciences side of the house because they've been looking at this area around intellectual property and trying to maintain that proprietary information for quite some time. Plus, they're larger companies, and larger companies tend to invest more in this area. Not to mention, they've been heavily regulated by FDA and others for many, many years. And so the FDA regulation has also put an emphasis in this area, or at least tangentially put an emphasis in this area. So life sciences tend to be the ones who have invested the most and have the most most robust security programs. In the middle is plans. Once again, large companies in many cases, your big blues as an example. And these companies tend to have a lot of, of patient information However, they've been investing in, in this in a large company kind of way. Then there's your, your hospital systems and your, your individual practice offices. And you can imagine that's probably the least amount of investment that's going in from a security and, and the protections around security and data privacy. Now, they are all regulated, and, and I would say the plans and the providers are equally regulated when it comes to uh, the High Tech Act and a lot of the procedures that were added in with the new omnibus rule. So that's made it a pretty significant difference in the amount of, of focus this area has gotten because the changes there fundamentally put this on the, on the radar screen. By provisions such as if you have a breach of over 500 records of patient information, you have to make that an announcement to a, a public media. You have to post it to what we call the wall of shame from Health Human Services. All this has brought this to the forefront of the senior management within both the plans and within the provider community. So you're seeing more, much more investment and therefore preparedness as well to be able to manage the threats that are hitting them every day. Whereas in the past, it was pretty much done as need be or in a reaction state. Uh, in those two sectors. I would say, but still, the plans had, had much more investment, of course, all along than uh, our provider community. And I also like to refer back to the fact that when we started focusing in on healthcare from our practice standpoint, I look back at what we had done in the past, and most work we had done by far was around that life sciences sector. So that's an indication to me that they were hiring folks like Deloitte to come in and help them deal with this problem early on. And that was really the only major sector that we had a, a practice around in healthcare. As the High Tech Act hit, obviously that drove a lot more act activity with plans and then with the providers ultimately. And there's been a systematic change in what's been happening in both of those sectors ever since. Now, you've mentioned that you've done a lot of work with healthcare providers participating in the Health Care Act's, the Electronic Health Record Financial Incentive Program. So now, what are the biggest privacy and security challenges for those providers, and in particular, where are they falling short when it comes to data privacy and security? The biggest challenge that we've seen is obviously just a, a lack of maturity in this area. Not having spent time in the past, not spending the money and not wanting to spend them too much more money in the future, their maturity of, of where they've been in those three tiers, like I said before, the providers being kind of on the low end, the plans being in the middle, and the 
life sciences being kind of the, the advance of the three, the providers had a pretty significant challenge with just having something in place. It was what they had spent on in the past and what they continue to try to do is to spend very tactically. Let me solve this problem because I have this requirement from a regulatory standpoint. I have to comply with HIPAA. So they will take more of a put a finger in the dike type of a type of response I should, to how they deal with this as opposed to looking at it as more of a discipline and a program. And that's probably the biggest issue that we've seen when we've gone out to review our clients' readiness for a potential HIPAA assessment from National. Do you have a program in place? Does that program provide a, an establishment of your policy? And how do you get that policy pushed down into the organization and acted upon? So when you don't have a program in place, clearly you're going to have a lot of gaps in the individual programs that are out there, like your identity and access management program or your cyber risk security program, your network security program. There's going to be holes riddled throughout it. Taking the finger in the dike type of approach will always provide more gaps than it does protections. And so we found pretty significant gaps as we've gone through it. And I would say that access uh, issue is probably the one that's, that comes to the top on many occasions. And, and what I mean by access is that's, you know, who has access to the patient records? And uh, do they properly control those records? It's very difficult when you think about it, very difficult to control at a fine grain level who would access a patient record. You're in a hospital system. There's a lot of people that need to have access to the record to be, be able to provide emergency health care, ongoing health care. It's hard to control. So putting what we would see is fine grain controls in place to, to limit access on a need-to-know basis is a pretty challenging situation for a, for a health system. So they've had to come up with other ideas on, on how to deal with that because it's pretty challenging to do at that fine grain level. But that's what the High Tech Act and HIPAA is asking for. And it uh, takes some investment to be able to get down that path. So you are seeing data breaches and privacy breaches and these types of things. A lot of that comes back to access and who has that data and do the people know how to properly manage it. So when it comes to identity and access management, where do you see health organizations falling short? What are the risks if they don't address these weaknesses, and what sorts of technologies and practices should they be putting in place? The biggest challenge for providers is just the ability to to be able to manage access to patient information on a fine-grained basis. And then also look at it from a what we call an enterprise point of view. What are the controls that you can put in place and how you can do access management on a, from a common standards-based approach as opposed to one-off type of solutions. Once again, going back to that plugging your uh, finger in the dike. In the past, especially the provider community, has tended to look for that silver bullet type of identity and access management approach, which is my doctors and nurses need to have easy access. I still want them to sign on, so I want them to have a single sign-on type of, of experience. And that may mean that you plug in a enterprise single sign-on type of solution that can solve that problem. It can solve the fact that you have sign-on once and have access to the back-end clinical system, as an example. The challenge comes in managing 
that user on an enterprise basis. So it works if you have the one hospital system where the doctor practices on Mondays, but when he goes to a different hospital on Tuesdays, there's yet another identity that, that they need to bring to bear to, to sign on to the next hospital system and the next hospital system. So when you get into the larger systems, that becomes very complex and hard to manage. And the idea behind identity and access management is to centralize the process of a user in those environments and try to bring a more simplified and a single sign-on type of environment for across the entire enterprise. And that's hard to do when you've done it more tactically. So I think from an identity and access management, the two things that we talked about. One is it's very hard to give fine-grained access control. And so taking it down to a level within the clinical systems is very challenging. And then two, this whole idea of kind of putting the tactical solution in place that gets the experience pretty strong with the clinical systems in one hospital but may not move across their entire organization. So that, that becomes very difficult to manage and very difficult to scale. Going back to this, this fine-grained access control, one of the solutions that's come to bear in the provider community has been the an ability or a technology to start to monitor the access as opposed to, say, I can't lock everyone down from having access that they need to get the patient records so they can provide patient care. Then the next best thing I can do is monitor who is accessing what records and be able to pull that information back and make sure or to the best of your ability, monitoring is after the fact as, as opposed to a preventative control. So monitoring allows you to at least to come back and say, hey, look, we have this person that's not necessarily supposed to be uh, working in this part of the hospital system accessing these patient records. And why is that happening? So you can ask that question and investigate that what we call snooping, if you will, type of situation. And it allows you, it allows you to come back and, and to express to, those, to the people that, hey, we are managing this and we are monitoring it. So when you go outside of your span, uh, appropriate access, realize that we're going to ask you the questions. Now, this is really important and has come to light with a lot of the VIP access or celebrities that have gone to health systems, and they want to obviously keep some level of private privacy to who has access to their records, not to mention that the fact that they are in the hospital system. And so time and time again, we've seen when these VIP people or celebrities go into hospital systems, there's a lot of people who shouldn't necessarily be peeking into those records, and they do. So this is this monitoring capability has really helped to start to shore that up and keep people from being tempted to access inappropriately. Now, under high tech, patients are supposed to be able to view, download, and transmit their health information electronically. What sorts of challenges are involved with identity and access management based on that, giving patients access to their records? How does that sort of fit into everything else that these healthcare providers need to deal with when it comes to identity and access management? Well, I would say today it's it's actually it's been very manual and, and will continue to be in, until some time to where the provider community Provider uh, providers can actually put a, an effective identity and access management program in, in place, which some are moving in that direction quite rapidly. Okay, so let me give you an example. I actually have been into that situation. I wanted to test how this all worked when I went to my own health system, and I asked for my records. I wanted to see um, how they would 
they would go through the process of providing me the records. And in fact, they gave them to me, but they gave them to me on a CD-ROM and they personally handed it to me. So they didn't transmit the information. There wasn't a need, of course, because I had physical possession of the disk, so they didn't have to provide any uh, identity and access management to it. So that's what I've seen, either that or printing out paper. I've, I've had that happen as well. So I think that's still in the process of being worked out because the identity management systems haven't been integrated effectively enough, especially for patients. Now, I would say that's a whole, you know, when you don't have a mature identity management system in place to help you manage internal employee access and and doctors and nurses access, it's even more difficult when you start talking about allowing your patients to have access to their records. So some of this is should be and, and will be improved as the development and the use of personal health records becomes more commonplace. I would say today, that's still, we're still in our infancy of using personal health records. And as that continues to evolve and become more of a viable option for patient access to data, I think that's when you're going to see the ability for folks to access that information more online. So that's when identity and access management is obviously going to play a much stronger role in how we access that very critical information. And it's going to be important that a provider, when thinking about how they're going to provide that access, has a fairly strong approach to how they're going to manage those access. You think of it if you if you use if you try to go down the path of using, say, a social media identity as opposed to your unique identity that you have established with your hospital system. That would be pretty challenging because the identity that you actually develop between yourself and a social media entity, is something that you've done pretty much by saying, here's my username and password. You maybe get them a little bit of your information like your name and address, and that's about it. There's no Nothing has been done to validate who you really are. So to really allow anyone to access patient data, there's going to have to be a certain amount of identity proofing that happens. And that identity proofing needs to come from some pretty credible sources, and uh, which will allow the individuals to be confident that they have been thoroughly looked at, and then the, the providers who provide the information, the confidence that they're giving the information out to the wrong, to the right people, because that's their biggest risk: is this request coming actually coming from the right person? So identity proofing is going to be a very, very important aspect, and you're seeing that play out today in the health insurance exchange world, by the way. In the last year, we've seen these health exchanges that have evolved from a national standpoint as well as at the state level. And behind some of these programs is this identity concept of identity proofing, which allows us to go on and sign up for health insurance with the government or with health insurance providers. And there has to be some type of program, some type of process, that allows you to identify those individuals when they go into that initial establishment of their identity and that trust level that has to be built. So that's what's going to be very important um, as, uh, as we move forward as citizen access to patient data. Thanks, Mark. I've been speaking to Mark Ford. I'm Marian Kolbasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.